Welcome to the Compounding Center Connections, where we talk about different health conditions with our partner practitioners. I'm your host, Jay Gill, a compounding pharmacist from the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. At the Compounding Center, we collaborate with practitioners, create custom medications, and help our patients get better. So the information discussed today is for informational purposes only, not for diagnosis. And in this episode, uh, I'm super excited to have Stephanie Bray Burges. Uh, she's a patient service administrator at Treehouse Eyes in Tysons, Virginia. Now, the topic of our podcast is on uh, is Stephanie's journey, lifelong journey with myopia. And Treehouse Eyes uh, strictly manage and diagnose patients with childhood uh, myopia. So I just want to give our listeners a little bit of a background, how I met Stephanie um, and thought it was, uh, and I'm so excited that she is on a podcast because she gave me the initial orientation and the tour at Treehouse Eyes. And uh, during that tour, I could sense the passion in her about myopia and I wanted to, and she also shared with me her journey. And that's why I thought it'd be great to have her on our podcast and parents to listen to this podcast. So Steph, thank you very much. And if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers and tell us what you do at Treehouse Eyes. Sure. So my name is Stephanie Bray Voorhees. Um, I am 42 and I have been uh, myopic since I was nine. Um, at Treehouse Eyes, I started out as a myopia counselor, but now I handle a lot of the backside. And I, my biggest uh, love right now is teaching kids how to put on contact lenses. So I love being involved in their actual care. So you are in, uh, you're interacting with the kids and parents and guiding them. Um, now, going back to your story, could you tell us like at what age do you remember yourself having vision issues? Uh, talk to us about that. That's a hard one. I know I was diagnosed when I was nine, but there's always that period prior to being diagnosed where the kid doesn't know that they're having an issue. Um, I was diagnosed because I went to school. I, I think they changed the seating arrangement around and I was in the back of the, school, the, the room all of a sudden and I couldn't see the board. Um, now, my school didn't do a lot of eye exams and things like that for the kids. Of course, this was, you know, 30 some years ago. So for me, it was going back to my parents and saying, I can't see the board and having them being non-myopic and not understanding why a kid would have eye issues going, okay, well, we'll take you to the eye doctor, but what could gotcha. possibly be the problem? <laughs> so uh, outside of that, um, on a daily basis, uh, what symptoms or what signs should a parent kind of seek out to say, hey, let me take my kid in for an eye exam or something like that? So before a kid can even really express why they're doing some of these things, parents will kind of see maybe they're sitting close to the TV or if they have a cell phone, they're holding it closer than you think they should or a book also, they're holding it closer than would be normal. Um, you might see them squinting 
Um, and they won't even realize necessarily that they're doing something to help them see better. They may only be able to tell you, well, it, it just, it feels better, but they won't necessarily be able to tell you, well, I sit closer because I can see the screen more clearly. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so in your case, when you were having issues not seeing the, you know, classroom board, um, what was your path? Like, what were some of the options that you went, you had back in, in those days? Honestly, the only option was glasses. So I went to the eye doctor um, and they went ahead and prescribed me with my first pair of glasses. And then every year onward, at least once a year, my, my prescription would change. So wow. then I would go back and I'd get another pair of glasses. Um, back then, and even more recently, doctors really didn't address the myopia aspect. So when your child is having an issue seeing things um, at a distance, you're, they're nearsighted or they're myopic, but the needing the glasses to see in your daily life is a symptom of myopia. So that's what will get you into the doctor. And the glasses are a tool we use just to be able to walk around and live our lives, but it's not actually addressing the myopic issue, which is happening at the back of the eye. So for me back then, it was glasses or glasses. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. I, I didn't really have an option until I was a teenager. Um, I got my first pair of contacts at 16, um, mainly because I do theater and I love to be on stage. But with my prescription, um, even then in high school, it was to the degree where I couldn't wear my glasses on stage during a performance. And I could not see to run across the stage without my glasses. So I was kind of forced into contacts when I was a, a teenager. But um, that was only an option, I think, once I was around 13 or so. I don't think they were wild, widely giving kids a lot of contacts at that point. Now, you mentioned about um, the eye. And could you explain in a very simple terms to parents out there, what is happening at, in at the back of the eye here? Okay, so in the simplest terms, the light in a myopic person isn't really hitting in the right spot in the back of the eye. And one of the things you'll notice with all of the measurements we take is the axial length, which is the length from the front of your eye to the back of the eye. So generally an eyeball should be round like a golf ball. But when you're myopic, your eye tends to stretch and it ends up looking more like an American football. Mm. And so that's kind of what we're seeing with um, when we're looking at the axial length, that length, you want it to be the, the smaller, more rounded eye. And in a myopic person, it continues to stretch and that length gets bigger and bigger. Gotcha. So um, today we have different uh, therapies to manage the progression of this axial length or myopia mm -hmm. compared to what you, the choices you had. So what are some of the choices today that a child has uh, options essentially to manage this? Yeah. So, and one thing to mention is like, I didn't even know that there was myopic treatment until I found out about this position at Treehouse Eyes. So uh -huh. I learned that there was an option about a month before I got hired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I, I had my recruiter talking to me and they said, oh yeah, there's this place and they do myopia treatment. And I went, 
myopia? <laughs> yeah, you know what that is? I said, well, I have it. And my first thought was, what do you mean they treat it? How, how do you treat? Um, because we, I'd never heard of it before. Um, so what we do at Treehouse Eyes specifically, there are a couple of different treatment protocols that we can do. Um, and one is using a hard lens um, that kids wear at night that helps reshape the cornea to get everything going where we need it to. Um, and then we also have soft contacts that can, kids can wear that are specialty. Um, and then we also have uh, the Medicaid eye drops, as you know, um, that we can use for the kids. And there are one big distinction that I like to let everybody know about is we'll have parents come in and say, well, if we're gonna use soft contacts, why are we gonna go to you instead of just going and getting soft contacts? And one distinction to make is that glasses and regular contacts are like one prescription across the entire lens. So they're doing the same thing. Um, so just like I said, regular eyeglasses help us see around the world, but they're not addressing the issue in the back yeah. of the eye. That's the distinction between a regular contact lens and what we use at Treehouse Eyes. Gotcha. So um, the eye drops you're talking about are atropine eye drops and yeah. very low strength that help with myopia. Now, what age range kids do you um, uh, do you currently have at the practice? Like how young, I'm wondering I, how young of a child uh, do you have? And, and at what age can they wear these contacts at this young age? So I believe the youngest we have in treatment right now, I believe is four years old. Um, and so the younger ones who cannot put on contacts by themselves or they are not old enough to really understand what mom and dad are trying to do if they were to put contacts on for them, um, those guys will generally end up being started out in atropine. But anyone who's of the age where they can either put the contacts on themselves or work with mom and dad in a buddy system, they're old enough. So a lot of times practitioners will say, well, you know, you're a little too young for contact lenses. But what I've seen is I just last month taught a five-year-old to do half the job. So the five-year-old is holding their eyes open and staring straight ahead and mom and dad are putting contacts in for them. And uh -huh. then we've got six and seven-year-olds that are putting contacts in by themselves. Oh, that's, uh, that's awesome. So that is what you mean, the buddy system. Yes. Uh, together. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you what, um, could you share with us growing up wearing glasses and now you're talking to kids? I know there's, you know, when kids find out that to wear glasses, you know, you become self-conscious. Could you uh, talk to us about, you know, growing up what, you know, the child goes through uh, when diagnosed with that and having to realize you have to wear glasses or thick glasses, things like that? Yeah, so when I was growing up, we were still in the world of four eyes and all of those types of taunts that kids would do. Um, and for me, my prescription was relatively low when I got diagnosed. Um, but I quickly realized as soon as I started wearing glasses, just how much I needed them. Mm. Um, to give you an idea, no one tells you how glasses are going to help you. 
So I remember putting my glasses on at home, walking up to the telephone, lifting them up, looking at the phone and going, okay, that's what it looks like to me. Putting the glasses on going, oh, okay, that's what that does. And looking at something else because no one said, these are gonna make it so that you can see this object closer to you um, from farther away. Uh, I didn't know, is it gonna make things purple? (laughs) I had no clue. So these kids that are getting on the glasses, they're going to have a couple different reactions. Either they realize that they do need the glasses or they may have so much stigma from outside sources that they don't want to wear them, even if they know they need them. So that can be kind of hard for a kid. Now, I have seen recently kind of a little influx of people who they've worn glasses for so long that it's kind of tied to their identity. And I've actually had situations where I have to tell kids, listen, if you wear contacts, you get to see perfectly good and you don't have to wear the glasses, which means you can go on Amazon and you can get glasses without prescription and you can play with them. <laughs> you don't have to worry about, did, if I break this, I can't see. So we've had to do kind of a bait and switch with kids anymore because some kids have been wearing glasses for so long that they are, it's part of who they are. Um, And when they take their glasses off now, they think, well, I look weird because they're so used to seeing that. It's a complete 180 from what I'm used to when I was a kid where all of a sudden you put on glasses and you're like, no, I don't like how this looks. It's it's amazing how that's kind of changed in the, the world of, of needing glasses. So um, what advice do you have for parents? Because, you know, just like whether uh, with any kind of condition, you know, a patient starts on it and sometimes stops or there's interruption. What advice do you have for parents to let them know it's, you know, you're trying to manage the elongation of the axial length. What advice do you have to parents to share with them? Because there could be consequences down the road. Yes. So ideally, we catch a child's prescription as low as absolutely possible. The, The lower the prescription is when the patient starts treatment, the better prognosis they're going to have because we can keep their prescription lower. So even though a child is going to have growth spurts when they're going through puberty and your eyes are going to change then because everything's changing, we can still keep you as low as possible. So if we have a kid come in at say a negative two and we can keep them as close as possible to that negative two throughout their growing up, they're going to be at such a better position than someone like me who my myopia was never treated. And so I ended up being, I'm a negative 11 now. Uh, Um, So if we had been able to maybe get me into treatment, say when I was a negative four, my life would be completely different. Um, So for these parents, I try and stress that we get them in as soon as we possibly can. Um, Understanding that we didn't know what we didn't know before. So we can't beat ourselves up about I didn't know this four years ago, but once we get them in treatment, they're going to be in treatment until they mature. Um, The one thing a myopic eye does really well is get worse. And so if we're not actively treating it, we are opening up the option for the vision to continue to progress and potentially get quite high. Um, 
with parents, they also need to know that statistically, if a parent is myopic, there's a very high likelihood that your child will be. And if your child does get diagnosed with myopia, there is a pretty high likelihood that they will progress farther than your prescription. So when we get them in treatment, we're not just looking at the number on their glasses. We're looking at the overall health of their eye. Um, at Treehouse Eyes, we say giving children better vision for life because we do know that the higher your prescription, the higher the likelihood of having some significant side effects like retinal detachments, glaucoma, um, myopic uh, maculopathy, which is a, like a central vision loss. So those things are no small issue that can go along with being myopic. So if we catch them low, we get them treated, we're not just giving them a low prescription on their glasses or setting them up to be a better candidate for things like LASIK in the future. We're actually holding off the probability of them having these big serious issues as they grow up. So now at, at your age, uh, and you're, you mentioned you were at minus 11, what are some of the things, risks that now you are, you are, you kind of have to keep in mind as you age. So what are those uh, risks that you have to keep in mind and make sure you get your regular uh, checkups and things? Retinal detachment is a big one. Um, as I said, when I started, you know, using glasses and everything, doctors never really mentioned any disease. They never said anything until I was about 15 or 16. And that's when a doctor finally said something like, if you ever see flashing lights, make sure that you get to a doctor. And I was a naive 15 year old with flashing lights, like cop cars, like, what are you, what do you mean? And they said, fireworks in your eyes. Now that was the first conversation we had about anything being medically wrong with my eyes. Um, and what they were doing was setting me up to understand the warning signs of having a retinal detachment. Because if you don't get a retinal detachment treated right away, it, it will end up meaning vision loss most of the time. Um, we do know that the higher your prescription goes, the higher that probability is. So for example, my prescription is completely off the scale of the last study that I looked at. But generally, if you compared someone who's like at a negative eight mm -hmm. to someone who doesn't have myopia at all, um, they're like 44 times as likely to have a retinal detachment as that other person. Wow. Yeah. Um, and with, with glaucoma, if you're at like a negative six, it's like three times as likely as somebody else. So the higher that your prescription goes, the higher those risks go. And unfortunately, it's not a nice, okay, two times, four times. It gets exponentially worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things, today's generation, these young kids are on their electronic devices a lot. I mean, you know, uh, they're educating, uh, they're going to school online and things like that. Uh, what... Uh, any lifestyle changes or guidance you have uh, for these kids so they're spending less time uh, on these devices? Yes. So ideally, we say two hours a day on devices. Now, obviously, with kids using Chromebooks at school and we had homeschooling for so much of COVID, yeah. 
that was blown right out of the water. But ideally, as little screen time as possible. Um, we know statistically that kids that don't get outside in the natural light a lot when they're younger have a higher likelihood of being myopic. And it's good, even if you are myopic and in treatment, to make sure that you're getting out there and getting some nice vitamin D and being out in the sun. Um, and anytime we can get them to take a break from the devices is good. We have a 20-20-20 rule. So for every 20 minutes that you're on a computer or I even say a book, anything near work, every 20 minutes, we want you to take at least a 20 second break and look at least 20 feet away. It's, it helps to kind of reset your eyes and, and break up some of that stress. Now repeat um, that again, the 20-20 rule again? Yes. So for every 20 minutes that you're doing near work or you're on a screen, we want yeah. you to take a 20 second break and look at least 20 feet away. Okay. Yeah. So I was telling kids, stop, look out the window, look across the yard and, and see what you can see out there. Um, I was telling the kids basically, listen, you know, we're designed to be looking off in the distance to make sure something's not going to jump out at us from a tree. Yeah. We're not meant to be here. <laughs> yeah. And so we've evolved with our technology to not have to deal with that threat, but we've created another one. Yeah. Well, that's a nice and easy rule to remember and practice. Um, Stephanie, thank you for being so open and sharing your journey with us and all the information that you have uh shared today that's so helpful for myself and parents too you know uh thank you very much for being on our podcast thank um you. thank you uh for tuning into the compounding center connections podcast we hope you found the information presented today to be helpful if you have any comments or questions please feel free to reach out to me at j at compoundingcenter.com Subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel, The Compounding Center Connections, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you.